going on everyone this is rich killen with the welcome to hope podcast uh today i or i guess i should say this week i was trying to think of what i wanted to talk about uh on today's episode um and and i i'll be honest this this topic for today is uh is not a fun one um but I think it's one that that's kind of on the on the forefront of my mind, uh, just because I've seen some or I'm seeing some friends, clients, um, and to a certain certain degree, the world kind of going through this right now, um, and that's uh, the the topic of grief. Um, you know, right now. I'm seeing a lot on the news things about uh, Queen Elizabeth passing away. Um, and there's certainly people grieving over that. Um, and so, and so I, I started doing a little bit of research on this and trying to identify exactly, okay, what, what do we do with grief? Um, Cause it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's very hard. Um, and, and the, the biggest thing, right. Is, is to basically just talk about your feelings, uh, which again is, is hard because there's a lot of very strong emotions that, that come from that. Um, a lot of people will kind of point to point to the, the, what's called the five stages of grief, uh, by Kubler Ross. Uh, some of you may be familiar with this, um, but basically, the, the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, I want to clarify something with this because there's a common misconception when it comes to these five stages of grief. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people know this. Um, when... When the five stages of grief were were created, uh, they they were in a a book back in 1969 by Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Um, she came up with these five stages in her her research and and observance of uh, patients that were terminally terminally ill. And, and through that, through her observations, she came up with these, these five stages that they go through. Again, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so what, what I want to point out here is, is that these five stages are, aren't necessarily pertaining to people who are grieving a loved one. Right. These are things that she observed in working with people who were just recently diagnosed with a terminal illness. So, so there's a little bit of, of difference here. 
Um, now what I'm, what I'm not saying is that you're not going to experience some of these emotions, uh, cause, cause you will. Um, but I, I don't want people when they are grieving or if they know somebody that's grieving to, to point to these five stages as, as though you're definitely going to be going through these, um, because that's, that's, that's not the way it works. Um, you know, there's definitely going to be some denial. There's going to be some anger. Like you're, you're going to experience some of those kinds of things, but, but just keep in mind that these, these five stages that a lot of people typically point to, um, aren't exactly, um, weren't exactly designed or, or created for people that are grieving the loss of a, a loved one. Um, and, and I also want to clarify too, that that grief kind of comes in multiple forms, right? We, we typically think of grief as, um, losing a loved one, but, but we can grieve other things as well. Um, you know, we can grieve the loss of a job. Uh, we can grieve the loss of a, of a friendship. Um, we can grieve the loss of kind of this, this, ideal or maybe this identity that, that we have for ourselves. Um, you know, for myself personally, a big part of, of my life growing up was, was being an athlete. And when I was no longer an athlete, after I was done in college, I had to kind of grieve this idea of I'm no longer an athlete. Um, you know, so, so grief can take on many forms. Um, you know, it's essentially, it's, it's a deep sorrow. Um, and so really, if you think about it that way, it, it really can be so much more than just so much more than just the, the loss of a loved one. But, but regardless, you know, I, I want to talk about what, what do we do with this grief? Um, the, the typical response is, is essentially, well, well, we need to talk about it. Um, you know, talk about your, your memories of that person and, and things like that. And, and also just being able to really identify your, your emotions and, and being able to label them and, and identify them. Um, I, in my, my research on this, I came across a, a research article and, and this was done back in 2007. So it's, it's a little old. Um, but basically what they were sort of looking at was that our, our memories and our emotions are, are stored in different parts of our, of our brain. Um, and, and by labeling them, um, a lot of times we think of, of our emotions being in, in the amygdala of, of the brain, uh, if, if some of you know where that is. Um, but when we start to put words to this, when we start to label how we're feeling, what these, these researchers ended up finding out was that 
there's another part of our vein, our, our brain called the right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex. Um, and they, they began to notice that when people are identifying their emotions and, and kind of talking about them, that this part of the brain then becomes more activated, um, which leads them then to believe that, you know, this is part of why this is, is helpful is it gets, it gets these emotions out of the amygdala and into this, this other part of the brain. And just for some context in this study, uh, the stu study I believe was done at UCLA. Um, I'm trying to look at it right now to find the, the names of the individuals. Um, uh, but anyway, it was, it was done at UCLA and what they, what they did was they, they had about, uh, 30 people involved and they showed them pictures of various people with various facial expressions demonstrating emotions. So somebody that might look angry, somebody that might look afraid, somebody that look, might, might look sad, et cetera, et cetera. And then they basically did these brain scans on these people, um, both as they just kind of internalized what they saw and not, didn't really think about it. Um, and then compare that to those people that were able to label and say, that person looks angry or that person looks sad. And, and that's how they, they came about this is, is they noticed a big shift from the amygdala to, um, to this area in the prefrontal cortex. And the reason I bring this up, I, I, again, not trying to bore anybody here with, with some of the, um, neurobiology, um, which I kind of find it very interesting, but but the reason I, I bring this up is, is there really is something incredibly powerful about being able to talk through what you are experiencing. And this is, this kind of shows that, um, on, on brain scans, um, you know, and working with people with PTSD and people that have been through traumatic events, our memories are stored in two different places. Um, and sometimes we, we need to get those, those individuals to openly talk about the trauma and that helps to move, um, being able to use those words helps to move that, those memories from the one part of the brain to this other part of the brain, just simply by, by putting words to, to what happened and, and to what was experienced. So why am I bringing this up? Um, well, I'm bringing it up because some of you listening to this right now may be very aware or, or may know somebody that is experiencing grief. Um, and, and, and this is, this is how we, how we help them. Um, we, we can talk about our experiences with that person. If, if we happen to know that person that, uh, maybe passed away, um, or we, we create a, an environment where they feel free and they feel open to talk about what they are experiencing and being able to put words to those kinds of things. Um, 
you know, sometimes that seems like such a simple thing and, and we, we want to do more for these people, uh, that, that we know they're, that are grieving. But even though it's such a simple thing, it, it's, it's probably one of the most powerful things that, that we can really do. So, so if you happen to know somebody that's, that's going through grief right now, um, you know, try, try to create this, this space for them. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's a time and a place, right? Um, there may be times where maybe it doesn't feel quite safe to, to talk, to talk about what we're feeling, uh, maybe because we're not in the right frame of mind or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and that same is going to be true for, for our friends who may be grieving. So there, there's a time and a place. So definitely don't, don't, don't push this on them. Um, but I, you know, I think of it as just, you know, keeping that door open so that anytime they, they are wanting to, they can just walk right in the door and just start, start talking about what they're feeling. Um, you know, and I, I've seen examples of people that have lost a loved one. Maybe I didn't even know the person that they lost and just simply asking them, you know, what, tell me about that person. What were they like? What did you, what are some of your memories about that person? And that in some ways it, it might be painful, um, but in other ways that could also be very, very healing. Um, so, and, and another thing to keep in mind too, you know, this, this is just a common misconception I think we have of people that are dealing with very strong emotions, such as, as grief and sorrow and, and all of that. But these, these emotions like grief and sorrow, they can really create a strong relationship and bond between people. Um, and so that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the beauty of, of that. Um, you know, I think back there, the, um, the, the popular movie inside out, um, which I think does a, a pretty good job of explaining emotions and memories and, and things like that. Obviously it's, it's not, it's not perfect, right? It's, it's still a Disney movie, but I think it gives us a good basic idea of, of these emotions. And those of you that are listening, if, if you are familiar with that movie, you might recall that the, the girl in the movie was, was struggling with a lot of emotions and being sad and, and things like that. And she wasn't really talking about it. She was just kind of internalizing it. Uh, and it ultimately resulted in her, her kind of running away from home. And when she finally came back and told her parents about what she was feeling, she was met with a very strong embrace from her parents, you know, and, and I know I've experienced this in my own life of being able to share emotions with people I know and people I trust and I feel a stronger connection with those people. And so I say that because don't be afraid of sitting with somebody in their emotions. Um, and if you are the person grieving, don't be afraid to share those emotions with somebody you know and trust. Uh, because not only will it make you feel better, but it will also help to 
increase and improve that that relationship through connection and through through this like intimacy this emotional intimacy um so again it's something that seems so so very simple but is also so very powerful um you know and maybe maybe you're dealing with some things maybe it's not grief uh or maybe it's one of those other forms of grief maybe loss of a job maybe loss of an identity um loss of a relationship of some sort i i encourage you to 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 talk about what you're experiencing what you're feeling um that really is the only way that you will fully kind of uh, of overcome and and move on um because you need to be able to put all of those emotions into words um and and ultimately what ends up happening is we those those emotions just keep building and building and building um and and they'll they'll usually come out some other way um and it's usually in a very inconvenient or inopportune time uh that could potentially get us in trouble or or something like that and and so we can't let those emotions kind of control us in that way we need to be able to let them out on our own terms um and that's really how you create emotional intelligence um and and sometimes i i've heard people talk about and this is this is a very old school way of looking at it but i i still hear this from people that you know emotions are a sign of weakness um and that i'll, I'll be honest that really drives me crazy because the reality is the opposite of that is true you know if if you are dealing with something and feeling a lot of emotions it is so much easier so much easier to avoid those emotions to just bottle it up and never think about it ever again what is significantly harder is to allow yourself to feel those emotions um if anybody that has gone through uh a traumatic event that maybe has some ptsd you you probably know what i'm what i'm talking about because it's so much easier to distract or uh maybe even allow yourself to dissociate um in order to not feel or remember this painful memory but but the idea of sitting with that and sitting in the emotion and recalling those memories that that's a that is way more difficult so I just want to try and eliminate that sort of uh, old myth that that is still out there. If you if you have this idea that well, if I express myself, that it shows that I'm I'm weak. If you are one of those people, I I challenge you to think about that just a little bit differently, because that that couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, sitting with the emotions is is the most difficult thing you could probably do. Um, so anyway, I hope, I hope that this is, is beneficial. 
if you know somebody that's that's dealing with grief, uh, please share this with them. Again, our our goal here on the Welcome to Hope podcast is is to be a resource for people. Um, and so please share this with with people that that could benefit from this. Um, and again, stay tuned uh, because we will have another great episode for you coming up next week. The content in this program is not intended to be a substitute for professional counseling, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified mental health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional advice or delay seeking counseling because of something you have heard on this podcast. If you or someone you know is in need of counseling in the state of Arizona, feel free to call us at 602-488-6104. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, please call 911 immediately. If you are in Maricopa County, Arizona, and are in a behavioral health crisis, you can call the crisis hotline at one 800 631-1314. If you are outside of Maricopa County, you can call your local crisis hotline or simply dial 988 for the National Suicide Hotline. If you are outside of the United States, please call your local emergency number immediately.